Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game. See if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 290. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to everybody. We're doing it again as we uh, roll into another exciting episode of Atari Bytes, soothed by the dulcet tones, the low but funky melody of a flippin' lawnmower that uh, the neighbor, even though this is a Sunday morning, has decided to fire up next door. How dare she? You know, this is my time to record, which she has no idea about, and even if she did, so what? It's her yard. She can mow her lawn if she wants to. But that doesn't keep me from complaining, because I'm an American, by God, and we complain about anything and everything we want when we want. I don't actually know if uh, the microphone's picking up the sound of the mower or not, but if it is, if you're wondering what that motor sound is in the background, well, that's what it is. A thousand apologies on behalf of my oblivious neighbor. How's everybody doing? It is, uh, fall is finally here, and I am so flippin' happy about that. Flippin', apparently, my word for the day. I like getting up in the morning and there's a little bit of a, a chill in the air. Not super cold, but a chill. Where I'm at, the leaves aren't falling yet or anything. They really haven't even turned, necessarily. Maybe some. But, you know, just enough. You can kind of sense that it's there. That fall is here. Autumn is here. Whatever you prefer. And I'm I'm here for it. I'm, I'm digging it. As I'm recording, this was homecoming weekend for my kid. She wasn't around much, except to ask for money. We went to the homecoming football game. I did not wear a sweatshirt because it had been warm all day. And then it got really cold and it started to rain, and I whined a lot. I'm not proud of it, but I did. So, apparently, I was not so excited about fall at that point. Because along with being able to complain a lot, Americans are good at being uh, contradictory. So, I am just a good American. They did, at the game, do uh, one nice little uh, Americans coming together moment. The audio system cut out just as the national anthem was starting, and actually the student section, of all places, for the opposing team uh, immediately jumped in and started singing the national anthem. Uh, I'm not proud of this, but it took a little bit of time for the home team to uh, follow suit, but they did. Uh, So it was a nice little Americans coming together moment. Those do happen once in a while. You know what else brings brings people together? Atari games. So let's talk about one. But first, we have to do some feedback. It's time to find out... Question! What does Jason say? Hold on. This week, Jason says nothing? I have dodged an army of wolf spiders and made my way to the dreary northwest corner of my cubicle, where I am peering deep into the blood-drenched walls of an echoing cauldron filled with flaming parchment and the anguished, disembodied cries of listeners past and future awaiting their chance to be heard on the podcast. And I don't see a single what-does-Jason-say submission for this episode. Jason, where are you? I need the Statler and Waldorf to my Muppet show. Otherwise, you know, Gonzo's just going to run amok. That's a nice Muppet reference for all you fans. But yeah, no no feedback this week. So I guess even Jason's allowed to take time off. We'll see if he's back for the next episode. So I guess, without further ado, I watched a show the other night where they used that phrase twice. And that seemed like at least one time too many. Anyway, this week's game is...
Montezuma's revenge. You arcade freaks gotta think. And you computer nuts, you gotta react. Because there's a hundred rooms crawling with critters. So if you can't take the heat, better make some smart decisions. Now you've done it. Where's my torch? Oh, no, 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 no. You're flunking out. Try the rope. No. Let's start over. There's a hundred rooms crawling with critters. Montezuma's Revenge from Parker Brothers, 1984. It still amuses me when I see Parker Brothers' name on these video games because I picture, when I think of Parker Brothers, I picture the classic board games like Monopoly. And I have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that they did Atari games as well. But they did, and this was one of them. The game was designed and programmed by Robert Jaeger. It was available on the Atari 2600 and compatible systems. Panama Joe, trademark. That's what they call him around these parts, though no one knows his real name or where he comes from. But one thing's for sure. Hold on. Uh, that's what they call him around these parts. I keep wanting to read that as around these here parts, as if this is uh, an Old West story or something. Panama Joe just you know, rides into town with his 10-gallon hat and his six-shooter goes into the saloon and orders a, a, a sarsaparilla. But that's not what this game it is. But that's from that writing of that little description, that's what I think of. So anyway, uh, no one knows his name, where he comes from, but one thing's for sure. Panama Joe, trademark, a daredevil from the word go. No risks too great. If the reward's large enough, winning. That's the most important thing to him. And more times than not, that's exactly what he does, because he's tough, clever, resourceful, and sometimes downright pig-headed. Though occasionally, uh-huh, that's not me, that's uh, literally in the uh, text here, parentheses, A-H-H-U-M, close parentheses, uh-huh. Okay. Uh, occasionally has been known to get in over his head. Luckily, he's got a knack for getting himself out of hot water as quickly as he gets into it. Let's hope Montezuma's Revenge is one of those times. To be fair, Panama Joe, trademark, uh, gets into uh, over his head because if you look at the game, a lot of the things are at least as tall as him, including the skulls and the spiders. So he doesn't have a whole lot of choice. The object of the game is to help Panama Joe slowly or safely reach Montezuma's fantastic treasure, by guiding him through a maze of death-dealing chambers within the Emperor's fortress. Along the way, Panama Joe must avoid an array of deadly creatures while he collects valuables and tools which can aid him in mastering the evils of the fortress and eventually escaping with the loot. The first thing I'll mention here uh, at this point is I kept thinking in the back of my mind that Panama Joe was a franchise character, that he came up in more games. The little bit of really half-assed research that I did did not reveal anything. I mean, he's not Pitfall Harry. He's not the guy from Jungle Hunt whose name escapes me. Lord something or other. But I, I can't think of any other games that the Panama Joe character is in. He looks, frankly, a little bit on screen like Mario, just in a pink outfit, of all things. I, I don't know. So if anyone knows of another Panama Joe game that I'm not aware of, um, I did see... On the Atari Age forums, there was a post, actually from a couple years ago, uh, this guy whose name I've forgotten was talking about how he was toying with doing a hack of Montezuma's Revenge, which he said the game itself was one of his favorite games, but he was not crazy about the Panama Joe character. He had a, sort of a different vision in his mind of what the character would look like. 
I don't know offhand if that ever happened. If it did, I'd be curious if there are other iterations of Montezuma's Revenge, because, spoiler, I kind of like this game a lot. Uh, so, yeah, so if there's more Panama Joe stuff out there, let me know. Uh, anyway, so we played this game by putting the cartridge in the slot. Hopefully you guys at least know about that part. Or, of course, downloading the ROM somewhere. We're using the joystick for this one. It's a one-player game. Use the joystick to move Panama Joe through the Emperor's Fortress to make Panama Joe walk left or right. Move the joystick in those directions because that's how directions work. To make him climb up a ladder or chain, push forward on the joystick. To climb down, pull backwards on the joystick. Note, you'll discover that a combination of left, right, and backwards, forwards joystick movements will make guiding Panama Joe on and off ladders and chains easier. The fire button. Press the fire button anytime you want Panama Joe to jump. If Panama Joe is standing still, he will jump straight up and down. If he is moving left or right, Panama Joe will leap in that direction. At the top center portion of the screen, there are five hats representing your remaining number of Panama Joes. Each time you lose a Panama Joe, one hat disappears. You'll begin the game with six Panama Joes, including the one on screen. In the space directly beneath the five hats is a box called the Inventory Window. Each time Panama Joe collects a special tool, such as a sword, a torch, or a key, that tool is displayed in the inventory window until he finishes using it. In space over the five hats is the score box. Throughout the game, points will be accumulated and your score will be displayed in that space. It took me a while to figure out, you know, you collect these items, right? The sword, the key, all that. I was a little, as we'll see as we go through the instructions, there are some points where they seem to hint that you're supposed to be strategic with using your tools and things and you only get four at a time and you can't add any more stuff, but you also don't really get to choose when you use stuff. Um, like, uh, there's a point where you can use a sword to kill the spider. You don't get to scroll over and say, okay, I'm going to use the sword now. Instead of jumping over the spider, I'm going to grab my sword and I'm going to kill it. Uh, you just kind of walk up to the spider and hope that the inventory gives you the sword so you can kill the spider. I thought that was a little odd. As you guide Panama Joe through Montezuma's fortress, you'll encounter three major groups of elements. They are room fixtures, killer creatures, special tools, and, and rewards. Various combinations of these elements are found in all the chambers throughout the fortress, each is described below. I won't go into a lot of detail here because part of the fun is figuring out what the hell this stuff is, but you've got laser gates, conveyor belts, disappearing floors, doors, fire pits, ladders, chains. For room fixtures, killer creatures include skulls, which look a lot like the skulls from uh, Pitfall. There are skulls in Pitfall, right? No, I'm not thinking of skulls, I'm thinking of the uh, scorpions, actually. Because uh, they're, they're big and white with black shading in uh, Pitfall. And they actually look a lot like the skulls in this game. Uh, so yeah, the killer creatures. Skulls, snakes, spiders. Uh, the spiders can bite you. So jump over them or slay them with the sword. Again, as I said, you don't really get to choose to pick up the sword. You just kind of run up to the thing. And uh, if you touch it and you have a sword in your inventory the inventory just automatically gives you the sword and you kill the spider and you get 3,000 points for your trouble. Special tools include an amulet, which is a hammer-shaped object. I looked the thing on screen. I don't get a hammer from this object, but okay. Hammer-shaped object helps Panama Joe, trademark, evade killer creatures. Whenever he grabs his amulet, all killer creatures are disabled for several seconds, allowing Panama Joe to safely walk through them. He can even trail into another chamber during this time. Once this time is up, the amulet disappears from the inventory and the killer creatures will return to their nasty, normal, colored selves. You get 200 points for collecting an amulet. There are also jewels, 
All right, maybe what I'm thinking of was actually a jewel, not an amulet. Maybe I haven't seen the amulet yet. Spoiler, I haven't gotten all that far into the game. I've seen several rooms, but uh, I have not, as of this recording, gotten super deep into the game. There are keys. Use those, use those to open doors, of course. Uh, a sword, I mentioned that, and a torch. Apparently, once you pick up a flaming torch, you just keep it the whole game. Well, the whole game level. Without the torch, there is no light at all, and you must rely on your memory to guide Panama Joe safely through the chambers. I don't remember if it's in the field report, but I did see one of the rooms, at least, that had no light in it. You could see the spider that was there to bite you, but you couldn't see anything else in the room. I assume if I'd had a torch, it would have lit, lit it up. The treasure room. If Panama Joe safely navigates through all the chambers in the fortress, he'll eventually reach his ultimate goal, the treasure chamber. Herein lies the fabulous treasure of the Emperor Montezuma. Once inside, Panama Joe will see the infamous jewels flashing in just several seconds. He must collect as many jewels as possible. When the time's up, he'll automatically advance to the next difficulty level. The game ends when you've lost all your Panama Joes, trademark. When this happens, Panama Joe, trademark, will disappear and all action on the screen will stop. Play again, press the reset switch or the fire button on the joystick controller. Point values. Anywhere from 100 points for a key or a sword, up to 3,000 points for a torch, or killing a spider. You gain an extra Panama Joe for every 10,000 points. The maximum number of Joes you can have at any one time is six. There are three difficulty levels each time you successfully complete one level and you have a remaining Joe, you automatically advance to the next level. 180 day limited warranty from Parker Brothers. Inexplicably, the maker of video games. And that is how you play Montezuma's Revenge from Parker Brothers. Teehee, teehee. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast all about life lessons growing up and every episode a segment about music music that i love artists that i admire and sometimes even my own music you can find autobiography of a schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers or you can go to schnookpodcast.com that's s-c-h-n-o-o-k podcast.com and I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. Is there a Wikipedia entry about Montezuma's Revenge? Well, of course there is, silly Billy. The game was developed for the Atari 8-bit family, the Atari 2600, 5200, Apple II, ColecoVision, Commodore 64, IBM PC as a self-booting disc, and ZX Spectrum as Panama Joe. The title references a colloquial expression for diarrhea contracted while visiting Mexico. We'll come back to that later, as frequently happens with the affliction itself. In 1988, a port was published for the Master System, which retains the basic gameplay and level structure, but with improved graphics, sound, and additional features. If anyone has seen this, let me know and, and tell us how it's, uh, how it's better or possibly worse. Jagger had previously written Chomper, a Pac-Man clone, and Pinhead, a Kickman clone. I don't know either of those games. In 1983, Jagger's friend Mark Sunshine, that is his real name, suggested Jagger make a game with a Mesoamerican theme and call it Montezuma's Revenge. Jagger, who was only 16 at the time, exhibited the still unfinished game with his father at a consumer electronics convention. Parker Brothers officials expressed interest. 
quickly convinced him to sign the rights over to them, because that's what companies do. On the title screen of the shipping game, Mark Sunshine is credited for the concept. That's cool. The original game developed for the Atari 800 required 48K of memory. Parker Brothers wanted to release the game on cartridge, so they trimmed it down to fit 16K. One of the features removed was an unfinished boss fight with a gigantic King Montezuma who can stomp the player character to death. Well, now I want to see that. To reduce costs, Commodore 64 and Atari 8-bit versions were released on disc instead of cartridge. The C64 and Atari versions came on a single floppy disc. Kids, go ask your parents. As well as uh, for the IBM PC and Apple II. Computer and video games rated the Coleco version 87% in 1989. In 1998, a 3D first-person game was developed for Microsoft Windows by Utopia Technologies called Montezuma's Return. A 2D version for the Game Boy and Game Boy Color was developed by Tarantula Studios. An enhanced version of Montezuma's Revenge was released for iOS and Android. Atari 2600 games were used as challenges for artificial intelligence researchers. In 2013, progress was made on general algorithms which could learn to play multiple games, but they failed on Montezuma's Revenge and Pitfall. Huh. In 2018, researchers from OpenAI made progress on Montezuma's Revenge. Later in the year, Uber developer Go Explore, a new approach to reinforcement learning, which could easily handle both of the games. Freaky. Montezuma's Revenge beat computers. I don't feel so bad then. Once you see the video report, you won't have to worry that I'm going to take over the Earth as some sort of, you know, put my brain into a, to a robot body and, and conquer Earth. So, you're welcome. Speaking of which, I saw a piece on TheVerge.com from 2016. Uh, the article was titled, Watch Google's AI Master the Infamously Difficult Atari Game Montezuma's Revenge. Newly published research from Google's Deep Mind Division shows exactly why the quintessentially human quality, that being curiosity, is important for making computers smart. They link to a video showing Deep Mind's AI agent tackling the infamously difficult Atari game Montezuma's Revenge. Unlike bots playing Unreal Tournament or StarCraft, the agent doesn't have access to all the information in the game, but is learning to play the same way humans do, by looking at the screen, pushing buttons, and seeing what works. Last February, meaning early 2016, DeepMind unveiled an earlier iteration of the same agent, but when that bot tried to take out Montezuma's Revenge, it couldn't score a single point. This later version, however, uh, was dodging skulls, grabbing keys, scoring points like a pro. The difference? Curiosity, which is a mechanic known as intrinsic motivation. In other words, creating a re reward system for the AI agent, something comparable to the brain's pleasure chemicals. Scientists connected these digital rewards to the agent's exploration system, giving the desire to look around its surroundings. In other words, curiosity. Um, there was a research paper that went with all this. Basically, the point is, when they learned how to give these, this AI something that it wanted, some sort of digital treat, I don't know what that is exactly, it would work harder and it would figure things out. That made it better at the game. Now that we're all freaked out, it reminds me of the thing I read recently that Elon Musk was developing androids that sort of look, are designed to be humanoid looking and move like humans and have this artificial intelligence. And when people pointed out that this is really flippin', there's my word again, scary Elon Musk, he said, don't sweat it, there's a pretty good chance you can outrun them. That was his only response to console people that you know, if they try to take over, you can probably outrun them. Atari Prodos says that there was a sequel planned called Barbados Booty, but it was never released. If anyone knows more about that, let me know. 
they also point out that thing about how they had to cut the game uh, size down, which meant leaving things out, including uh, an animated title screen where Joe is introduced as Pedro, a bat who chases you around if you stay too long on a screen, and the final showdown with King Montezuma. It's interesting to note that the original version is not winnable because he never finished programming the King Montezuma battle. You play as Panama Joe, not to be confused with the copyrighted character Indiana Jones, famous daredevil and treasure hunter. Although it was never released on disc as a floppy, with the C64 version, the cartridge version, of Montezuma's Revenge was never released, due to the collapsing 8-bit market and the related expense of a cartridge release. If you're lucky enough to make it to the treasure room, you're in for a little surprise. Montezuma has cursed his treasure room. Joe only has a few seconds to grab as many jewels as he can before the floor, before he falls through the floor and into the next level. Looks like Montezuma got his revenge after all. Either that or the programmer ran out of space for an ending. Hardcore Gaming 101 points out that Montezuma's Revenge wasn't the first to design this type of game. You know, sort of the side view arcade platforming action. Before that was Pharaoh's Curse and Spelunker, although that didn't get widely known until the re-release by Broderbund shortly after Montezuma's Revenge. This game is not as technically impressive as Spelunker, built on more systematic mechanics inherited from Donkey Kong and is all the more playable for it. Joe is controlled the same way as Jumpman Mario, Nintendo's genre-defining masterpiece, so his jumps have a fixed length that cannot be influenced in midair. He also doesn't survive any falls that go down more than his own height, which often is very counterintuitive for those who have grown up with Super Mario Brothers or anything that came later. In a, two th- in a 2018 post on Atari Age, Dr. Spuds called the game a forgotten classic, but for my money, this game is nowhere near as classic as traveling abroad and getting a fun little bout of diarrhea. While Montezuma II was emperor of Mexico from 1502 to 1520 and was in power when the Spanish began their conquest of the Aztec Empire, we really only remember him when we laugh at our friends for getting the poos on their some on their spring break in Cancun. Abdominal cramps, nausea, fever, bloating, all of which most travelers recover from within a few days, maybe a week, all of which is the result of bacteria, especially E-T-E-C, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it appears to be E. coli, typically the most common, except in Southeast Asia, where Campylobacter is more prominent. About 10 to 20% of cases are due to norovirus. The risk is greatest in the first two weeks of travel and among young adults. People affected are more often from the developed world. You can prevent it by eating only properly cleaned and cooked food, drinking bottled water, and frequently and frequent hand washing. And as I said, it's named for Montezuma II, Rule of the Aztecs, overthrown by the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés in the early 16th century, thereby bringing large portions of what is now Mexico and Central America under the rule of the Spanish crown. Montezuma II was the ninth Tlatoani of Tenochtitlan and the sixth Huitetlani, or Emperor of the Aztec Empire. The first contact between indigenous civilizations of Mesoamerica and Europeans took place during his reign. He was killed during the initial stages of the conquest. During his reign, the Aztec Empire reached its greatest size, expanding the territory as far south as Zocanoosco in uh, Chiapas and the Isthmus of Teotepec. He changed the previous meritocratic system of social hierarchy and widened the divide between Pipilton, nobles, and commoners by prohibiting uh, commoners from working in the royal palaces. Two other Aztec rulers succeeded him after his death, but their reigns were short-lived and the empire quickly collapsed under them. 
Historical portrayals of Montezuma have mostly been colored by his role as a ruler of a defeated nation. Many sources have described him as weak-willed, superstitious, and indecisive. His story remains one of the most well-known conquest narratives from the history of European contact with Native Americans, and he's been mentioned or portrayed in numerous works of historical fiction and popular culture. Despite all of that, what we remember is loose stools. Speaking of loose stools, after the break, or get off the pot. Seriously, playing Atari on the crapper is just weird, man. modern age of divisiveness and political disagreements, I was sad to find out that even Montezuma was trying to get revenge. But, you know, we'll, we'll power through. Besides, Panama Joe has a snazzy outfit. We're playing Montezuma's Revenge. That is Panama Joe on the screen. We have a guest videographer today. Hi, Sophie. Hi. She's filling in for Henry, who couldn't be bothered to wake up. So you can see, we've got a screen that looks like, to me, a little bit like uh, Pitfall 2, or, well, actually I get kind of a Donkey Kong Jr. vibe, weirdly, off of this. So, let's just play it a little bit and see what happens. Conveyor belt, rope. Already on this screen, there's a lot going on. You got ropes and ladders and skulls that disintegrate you. The nice thing is, once uh, once you get killed once, man, it's hard to talk and play at the same time. Once you get killed by something, it disappears. Whee! Which way should we go? We'll go this way. Key opens that door. Disappearing walls. Fast enough. You know what? I don't want to go that way. We'll go this way. No, I can't because I don't have a key anymore. Our fate is sealed. Dang it. Sophie's laughing at me. Yay! Try one more time, because I was terrible. Really, I have done better than this. So, you know, the colors are your pretty basic uh, primary Atari colors, but there's a lot going on. We'll go this way this time. More floating skulls. Down the big ladder. Sword! So I have a sword in my inventory. All those little hats up at the top of the screen. That's my lives, of course. Uh, more dis disappearing doors. Ah! Disappearing doors. Man. 
Anyway, what I was going to say is the stuff in the inventory just kind of uses itself. You don't get to pit, but you do get a maximum of four items. Giant spider. What do you think of that, Sobe? Let's go down here to show you what's down here. Ooh. Spider in a room with no light. In one of these other rooms, there's a torch that you gotta get so that you have light, because that's how torches work. Hmm. There's a ladder spot on the screen, which means we're gonna have to go in a different way. Oh, that actually worked. Fudge. The uh, disintegrating effect is kind of cool. It's kind of a metaphor for life, the gradual disintegrating of our existence. And on that note, <laughs> Sophie is horrified. Uh, so that seems like a good place to end. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Montezuma's Revenge. I really like this game. A lot. I didn't really want to stop to record the show because I was really getting into it. There's all sorts of stuff going on. It, it's simple enough that you can pick it up and just start playing it, but it's difficult enough. There's enough tricky parts to it that you want to keep playing and figure out how to you know, get in the groove and move through the disappearing doors and deal with the ladders and deal with the, uh, you know, the snakes and the whatever. And, I still haven't figured out the disappearing of floors. There's one room that I saw where there's a disappearing floor over a lava pit, and it's really wide, and it disappears, comes and goes really fast. So I don't know how you would manage that. And I want to keep playing and, and figure it out. And that is the metric of a good Atari game. If you want to keep playing, and I do. So, big props for that. Am I going to call it my favorite game ever? Probably not. Uh, at least not at this point. But it's up there already, even the little bit that I played it today. So... Good on you, Parker Brothers, even though it makes me giggle to think of you as a video game developer. You, you done did it, so well done. If anyone else has thoughts about Montezuma's Revenge, the game, not the other one, I really don't want to hear your Traveler Broad stories. Really, I don't.
But if it's about the game, let me know. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, The Throne Room is Possessed. Deep in the jungles of Mexico, the tree limbs parted like the arms of a jilted lover as Colonel Horace Badman and his lieutenant, Maria Mini, burst into the clearing. The colonel stopped and dabbed at his brow with a handkerchief, flushed from exertion and the steamy jungle climate, but mostly the exertion. Colonel, we must keep going. He's on our tail, Maria said. No, Colonel Badman said. No, I don't think so. He's always on our tail. I mean, the colonel cut her off, shaking his head a bit, grimacing. Maria Meany looked back toward the trees, heard nothing. She groaned. What? Again? I believe so. That's like six times today, Maria said. What is with this guy? I believe, Maria, the better question is, what is in him? I don't understand, Maria Meany said. He enjoyed a generous helping, three helpings, I believe, of your tornado tamales when we did that thing yesterday where we captured him, but the three of us pretended we were having a dinner party. Lots of veiled comments like, I said, Maria, where are our manners? Our guest is hungry. Perhaps we should satisfy his hunger. And he said, I'd settle for your head on a platter. Then after we ate and debated the virtues of defiling Montezuma's throne room and the newly uncovered ruins for our own financial gains, he said with a smirk, Are you worried about the curse? And we all laughed. Then he got this grimace on his face and said, Uh, where's your bathroom? And raced down the hall and didn't come out for like an hour. And I said, Ironic, isn't that, Maria? Seems like he's the cursed one. But you were pretty drunk by then and didn't answer. Then this morning, as we, as he was making his escape, he paused to use the facilities. Twice. Remember, Maria? Maria was not only not remembering, she was really not listening by this point. But then it clicked. Oh, that's what that noise was, Maria said. I thought the limo was backfiring. The two treasure-hunting thieves stood for a moment, admiring the foliage. So, should we keep running? Maria asked. That seems a little unfair, doesn't it? The colonel said. The man is incapacitated. Yes, but we're evil, Maria pointed out. Don't we want him to be incapacitated? A strained voice called out from the trees. I'll be right there, you guys. I just... Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Morton leaves rustling as the hero fled back the other way. Let's just go, Maria said. We'll leave some henchmen to wait for him. If we get to the river before he's done, we can get a boat and we'll be miles away before he's, you know, wiped. Out. The colonel considered this. Before my brother Boris was devoured by zombie piranha men during the Quetzalcoatl's gambit, this man, his sworn enemy, risked an infestation of zombie parasites in his ding-dong to leap into the flaming waters and try to save Boris. We owe him at least the courtesy of waiting for the flush before we bolt. Fine, Maria sighed. The two stood awkwardly for several moments. So, how are the kids? Maria asked, more for something to say rather than curiosity. Oldest one out of jail yet? The colonel laughed. Oldest one out, youngest in. Next week, it'll probably be reversed again. Kids, I tell you. Always something with them. Now my middle kid wants to join the Peace Corps. What's up with that? 
I thought I taught him better than that. Maria, what do you tell a kid who wants to do good in the world, despite your best evil efforts? Maria didn't know what you tell a kid like that, and the conversation faltered. The colonel carved his initials in a tree. The cloud rumbled just a bit. Suddenly, the colonel leapt to his feet, certain he had heard the hurt hero approach, but it was only a stench-ridden, flatulent spider monkey. Or maybe... I've got you, the hero shouted from nearby. Just hold still while I bend down and get this rope. Uh, oh God, here we go again. Damn tamales. The trampling of leaves got farther away again. Seriously, Maria pleaded. Those grad students from the expedition traded the golden statues from their dig site at the ancient palace already. They're right over that hill. We could be there in no time. Before Colonel Badman could respond, ancient Aztec Emperor Montezuma appeared, towering over the would-be thieves, eyes burning deep into the soul of Colonel Badman. What'd you do to my tree, MFR? Colonel Badman positioned himself in front of his initials. It was him, your majesty, he said, pointing to the flatulent monkey. Miguel would do no such thing, Montezuma declared. The monkey scampered back in the direction of our hero with a fistful of leaves. That could only mean... Moments later, the hero, pale and sweaty, stepped into the clearing. The ding-dong parasites were better than this, he muttered. Then he sized up Montezuma and, louder but shaky, declared, I told you you didn't know what you were messing around with, bad man. Colonel Badman chuckled, but before he could retort, Montezuma turned him into a ding-dong parasite. And then he turned Maria in, into a five-foot-four zombie ding-dong, and the two raced into the jungle. To this day, the locals still get drunk and speak of odd sightings in the jungle, but the tourists don't believe them. Montezuma turned his gaze on our hero, and he braced for what was coming. Montezuma extended one massive arm toward our hero, boulder-sized fist clenched. Our hero awaited his fate. Even his luck had to run out sometime. Montezuma opened his fist and tossed something to our hero. Reflexively, he snatched it out of the air. Out of the air. It was an economy-sized bottle of Pepto-Bismol. Drink it, Montezuma intoned. You've defiled my home enough. Our hero nodded. As Montezuma faded back into the mists of time, the ruler issued one last instruction. Eat some saltines too, he said. They help settle the stomach. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Compotech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme and the Jason Says Stuff theme. You can get your revenge on Apple Podcasts with a five-star review of this show. You can also email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. You can like the show on our Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. And, you know, if none of that is your thing, you can call us too. I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to answer the phone, and it's not because I have uh, a massive case of diarrhea. Or maybe it could be. You know, who knows? Um, but your call, regardless, is going to go straight to voicemail. 563-265-1978. Call that number, leave a message about really anything you want. You can even call when you're on the crapper. I don't care. Just leave a message, and uh, I will probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www, because that's how websites work, 
carnivalofgleecreations.com. From there, you're going to get information, links to the show, social media, all sorts of stuff for It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, my other show, as well as this show, Atari Bytes. You're also going to find information and links to a few places, a few of the many places that you can order books that I've written, including Hell Serial, very short stories fortified with essential syllables. Also consider, while you're wandering through the internets, consider supporting this show by subscribing on the Patreon page for Atari Bytes over there at the Patreon. Link in the show notes. Patrons can get stuff, not the least of which is my undying gratitude. You also get to, in a sense, hang out with these fine folks, including Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Jason Schiffman, Mark Super, and Jim Goble. Thanks to them, one and all. All right, we're about out of here. All that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. Oh, man. I am really excited about this. Perhaps unnaturally so. We're playing Sesame Street, Oscar's Trash Race. I think we did a Sesame Street game previously. I think maybe we did the Big Bird one, whatever that was called. But uh, it's Oscar's turn this time. Um, I'm sure I mentioned the other time we did a Sesame Street game. I was a Sesame Street kid. I am old enough that I wasn't alive when it first premiered, but by the time I was watching it, it was still really early in its run, sort of its its uh, heyday. You know, it was a relatively new thing, and it was sort of classic Sesame Street. Uh, you know, and from there I became a Muppets fan and all that. Sesame Street puppets are Muppets, but they're not exactly the Muppets, and it's a whole thing. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. So yeah, that's what we're playing. Sesame Street, Oscars Trash Race. I am pumped, and I hope you are too. I hope your tummy's okay, and I hope you'll join me next time on the podcast. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.